Good morning. Our scripture reading today comes from Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. My name is Ryan Ostry, and I serve on the worship team here, and I'm also on the diaconate. So our reading, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh, for we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may obtain the resurrection from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Well, let me say welcome again. My name is Rob, one of the pastors here. It is good to see you this morning. Uh, You heard it in Steve's prayer, but I want to highlight it again. Yesterday afternoon at our Presbytery meeting, which is our group of regional churches, uh, my good friend JT uh, passed his final exams, and tonight at our evening service will be ordained. So let's give JT a round of applause. That, uh, that's, that's no small accomplishment. That is, that is years of study and practical work. That is oral examinations, written examinations. There's, you have to get a physical examination, believe it or not. I'm not, like, I'm not sure if they're like, you know, testing that we can like, uh, you know, curl a Bible or like they give us this like 10 pound dumbbell that we have to cradle just to make sure we could do baptisms. Okay. They don't really do that. Um, but Uh, I am excited to see all the ways that God is going to work in and through JT uh, here in our church family. He's on staff with us, and he's uh, next in line, Lord willing, to to start a new work in our area. And and we're excited to see what God's going to do there. I'm excited to see the little kids with us this morning. Little kids, big kids, we're glad that you're here. Uh, I'm not sure what y'all's favorite food is. If you like pancakes, if you like Fruit Loops, uh, if you like celery, I don't know. Um... But whatever your favorite food is, uh, when we come to like the sermon, I think it's just always helpful to remember, and, and, and so we don't just go through the motions. Uh, when the Bible speaks of, of God's Word, when it speaks of itself, it, it refers to it as food for our souls, bread that we can live by. And so we come this morning not just to check off the religious box, but to feed, to, to get nutrition for our inner life, that we might love and live and honor God. And so I'm going to pray. God would meet with us. God would speak to us. God would feed us this morning. Kids, we're glad you're here. Parents with kids, we're glad you're here. Um, we don't mind wiggles. We're glad you're with us. Let's pray. Mighty and merciful Father, we pray that you would indeed speak to us this morning. 
through your word, that you would give us light for our lives, that you would lead us to life and life to the full, remove distraction from us, save us from uh, the just dullness of hearing, uh, help us to experience your love so that we can love others and help us to see our true treasure, to see your son and our savior, Jesus Christ. That's who we wish to see this morning. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Uh, let's dive in this morning. Let's start with the very first sentence of our passage. We're there uh, in Philippians 3. You know, we wrapped up the John 17 series. Next week, we start the Advent series. This week, we're Thanksgiving. We're looking at Philippians chapter 3. Very first sentence. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. And if you want to know where we're going this morning, our, our, my singular aim is for us to, to consider what that means for us. How do we rejoice in the Lord? That's, that's what we're talking about. That's what our aim is. And I don't know how that word rejoice hits you. I don't know when that word falls upon your ears, what, what's your response to it? I would imagine for some of us, you might think like, okay, really rejoice in the Lord? Like, hey, Rob, um, have you looked outside? Right, like, have uh, have you looked at my uh, social media feed recently, or um, Rob, have you have you looked at the text messages that I've gotten from my family members when I said that I was or wasn't coming to Thanksgiving, or they should or shouldn't come to Thanksgiving? Like, hey, we might need to go a little easy on this whole rejoice stuff for a little bit. Like, maybe maybe not now. Um, and for some of us, I would imagine it really doesn't matter that it's 2020 and the pandemic. It really doesn't matter what calendar's next on the holiday. Uh, you know, we or our loved ones have cancer on the back of our minds or in our bodies or both. Um, our kids' lives might be going off the rails. Maybe we're in middle school or high school or college. And hey, life as a middle school high school, college student, it's exciting and crazy and terrifying and exhausting and all at once. And maybe you're a parent of one of those kids and it's all the same thing. And so you're thinking like, I don't know about all this rejoice stuff right now. I don't know if I have it in me, but here's the thing. Paul doesn't qualify it when he says rejoice in the Lord, right? He doesn't say rejoice in the Lord on your good days. Right? He doesn't say rejoice in the Lord when things are easy and the sun shines gently on your face. He doesn't say rejoice in the Lord in your vacations and your victories. No, he says rejoice in the Lord. And so that's what we're going to consider today. That's what we're going to look at. It's the theme of all of Philippians, right? Book of Philippians, one of the smaller books in the Bible. You actually have time to go home today. You can get through it. Uh, you know, in a reasonably short amount of time, I would encourage you just check it out. But in this book, six times he talks about joy, four chapters, six times he talks about joy, eight times he talks about rejoicing. Even when he comes to the last chapter, uh, verse four of chapter four, he says this, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. So we might kind of have some challenges and some issues with this instruction, with this command, but one of them isn't clarity, right? Like it's pretty clear what we're called to do. There's no doubt about that. So, um, so how, how do we do it? One, let's just pause for a second. Uh, maybe this will help us appreciate it even more. Let's consider the context, the context of the author and of the audience, Right, you know, sometimes when words are written, it helps us to know who's writing them and where they're at. Think about Martin Luther King Jr. and his letter from Birmingham jail, right? Like the fact that he was um, unjustly incarcerated 
and he's scribbling down this letter on the margins of a newspaper adds weight, adds credibility, adds urgency and power to his words. And now some of us might remember that the book of Philippians, the letter of Philippians is uh, written by Paul when he's where? He's in prison, right? We, we read in chapter one that he's imprisoned for Christ. He's, uh, Philippians is a chapter, written, um, is, is, a, is a book written by a prisoner, the letter written by a prisoner. Who's he writing to? He's reading, writing to these young Christians, to a church that he helped start some probably 10 years earlier. Um, these young Christians living near the coast in ancient Greece. Um, elsewhere in the scriptures, we read that these particular Christians had endured um, suffering, extreme poverty, uh, ordeals that were challenging. And so... This is a letter written by a prisoner to those who have experienced suffering and poverty. What would you think a theme of that letter would be? I don't know. I would imagine few of us would think, oh, that's going to be a letter all about joy and rejoicing. But in fact, it is. From a prisoner to those in poverty is a letter about joy, uh, about rejoicing. So it's clear that Paul doesn't see um, our circumstances. Um, as the thing that limits our rejoicing. We can rejoice and it doesn't need to be dependent on our circumstances. Whether it's the year 61 or whether it's the year 2020, we can still rejoice. How do we do that? We're going to look at two things this morning um, to help us consider, you know, how do we do that? We're going to, one, look at the threat to our joy and two, the foundation of our joy. So if you're keeping notes, uh, you want an outline. Threat to our joy and the foundation of our joy. You get to verse two, all right? We're reading along, we're called to rejoice, we get to verse two, and then we, we, we read this. Look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. And we're like, wait, what? What, what, what in the world, right? Like, uh, it's one of those times where you're tempted again to think like, what? Like that, that really escalated quickly, all right? Like we were talking about rejoicing and now we're like, uh, we're talking about looking out for dogs and those who mutilate the flesh. Like, are those in Philippi supposed to look out for dingoes? Like what is happening here? But what Paul is warning them about, um, these uh, Christians there in Philippi, he's saying, listen, there are those who are going to be calling you to put your faith and confidence in something or someone other than Jesus. Look out for them. All right. And he has no qualms with calling them out in the harshest of terms. He's going to, he's saying there are those who are going to call you uh, to put your faith, not just in Jesus, but also in following the Mosaic law and in being circumcised. All right. These young Christians there in Philippi, many of them, non-Israelite, non-Jewish. And, and there are these, those that are coming and saying, Hey, to, to do it right, guys, you got to, okay, Jesus, follow Jesus, but you also have to be circumcised. You also have to follow the law of Moses. And Paul is having none of that. All right. He's saying there's no such thing as Jesus plus. There's no such thing as grace plus. No, it's, it's Jesus. It's grace. Jesus alone, grace alone. That's what it is, right? He's, he's making it clear that the mark of a Christian isn't made by the blade of a knife. All right. It's made by the Holy Spirit. 
and the ability he gives us to worship and glory in Jesus. Paul wants those in Philippi to be real clear about that. The threat to our joy comes when we put our hope or our confidence in anything else. And so he didn't mind to speak forcefully at this this teaching, this false teaching about who Jesus is in the gospel because he knows that cuts at the root of our joy, that cuts at the root of our rejoicing, and so he does away with it. And then I love the angle that he takes, right? Uh, To confront these people and to confront their teaching. I love how he does it. He says, all right, well, we can talk resumes if you want to talk resumes. Like, if you want to talk circumcision, if you want to talk Mosaic Law, we can talk about that. Let's go there, all right? And we know resumes. We're D.C. people. We all appreciate resumes. Plenty of you guys have incredible resumes, right? He's like, okay, let's, let's bring out resumes. Verses 4 through 6, he kind of pulls up his spiritual LinkedIn page, all right? And he's like, okay, let's talk resumes. Oh, circumcision? Okay, we can talk about that. Eighth day. All right. Not early, not late. Like I was circumcised when you were supposed to be circumcised. I am a full blooded card carrying covenant member of the nation of Israel. I'm good, guys. In fact, you know what tribe I'm from? I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. Right. Like uh, in case you didn't know, there were only two tribes that didn't rebel against the Davidic dynasty. I'm one of those tribes. That's my people. All right. I got that right. Um, uh, you want to talk more? OK, good. Um, Hebrew of Hebrews. That's me. Um, when it comes to the law, I was a Pharisee, all right? I was, I was disciplined. I was, I was strict. I was learned, and I was well-esteemed, all right? When it comes to zeal, that is like, hey, do you take your religion seriously? Um, yeah. I made it my mission to hunt down and exterminate Christians. That's how seriously I took this religion stuff, all right? Um, when it comes to uh, righteousness under the law, hey, I'm faultless. I'm blameless. He's not saying that he's sinless, right? We need to see that. What he's saying is, hey, yeah, there's this sacrificial, this religious system to atone for sin. I've done that perfectly, all right? You see what Paul's doing here? He's saying, all right, you want to play this game? All right, I'll I'll play this game. I can play this game. I can win this game. But let's be abundantly clear for the record. This is a worthless game. This game will destroy your ability to rejoice and find joy. And I would imagine many of us are still tempted to play games today. Right? Like, I don't imagine the games that we play have to do with circumcision or following the Mosaic Law. If they do, you can talk to JT after the service. All right? That's what the new guys get to deal with. All right? We, we send those to JT. Um, but, uh, but here's what the games can look like today. Here's what I think the games can look like for you and me. Um, you've lost a job. Um, you've received a, a devastating diagnosis. Your kid's life is going off the rails or your life's going off the rails. And you start to think this. I must have done something bad, right? Like I must have messed up in such a way that that's why I'm here right now. That's why this has happened is because I... I'm unworthy. I've done something bad. And friends, that's game talk, all right? That, that's you thinking, apparently there's some rules somewhere, and I've either broken the rules or there's some way of keeping score, and I am falling behind and I am losing. And it's helpful to know that whether you're conscious of it or not, necessarily when you think that way, you're also thinking before that point when things were going well, that you were having things go well because you were following the rules and you were scoring and you were succeeding, all right? Um, 
These are the games that we're tempted to play. That's the game talk. And those kinds of games, friends, will cut our ability to rejoice and to find joy. Um, you don't even have to be a person of faith to, to play games, all right, in your approach to life. Remember, Paul's warning against putting hope or faith or confidence in anything other than Christ. And in the world, we see it um, all over the place. People put their faith in their intellect. People put their faith in their picture-perfect family. People put their faith in their wealth, their, their ability to earn income, right? Um, uh, he who dies with the most toys wins, Students, you can uh, be tempted to put your faith in, in your, um, your school accomplishments or your school friends, all kinds of things you can be tempted to put your confidence, your identity, your faith in. And when it comes to COVID, when it comes to 2020, I wonder um, how many of us were shook because in some ways uh, we might have been playing the game pretty well. But COVID so changed the rules so changed the circumstances that what was enabling us to get ahead in our minds and our estimation is no longer there. And it exposed, wait, maybe my confidence was in something other than Jesus. Maybe my confidence was in something other than Christ. Maybe it was Jesus plus the ability to go where I want, when I want. Maybe it was Jesus plus the sense that I'm in control of everything in my life. That kind of thinking will threaten our joy, threaten our ability to rejoice. False teaching about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. That's what threatens our joy. So if that's the case, what's the foundation for our joy? Let's look at verses 7 and 8, see what Paul says there. But whatever gain I had, that is my resume, I count it as lost for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. In a sense, Paul creates a couple columns here, and he says, you know what? The things you would think would be in my asset column, my resume, my achievement, my degrees, all those things you would think would be in my asset column, actually, that's all moved over. I consider those a loss. And the only thing that remains in this particular column right here, there's one thing. My only asset, my only gain, that's Jesus. Guys, you know, um, Paul's a scholar. He's a learned man. You read some of his letters, you can see he reasons well, he, he writes well. And you know how most, most of the time scholars, we know scholars, we live in D.C., probably more terminal degrees around here than almost anywhere else in the world. Uh, scholars are a cautious people. They're a nuanced people, right? They footnote. They don't usually make broad, sweeping claims, but that... Paul makes some pretty broad claims here. He says, whatever I counted, right? He says, I count everything as lost. These are broad, uh, kind of overarching claims that he makes here. And then some of you guys, if you look at verse 8, some of you might be aware that biblical translators sometimes are more polite than the original author, right? Um, We see in verse 8 that Paul says that he counts as rubbish, those things that he trusted in earlier. He counts them as rubbish. Some of you might know that word doesn't really convey what's there, right? Like, so um, that word there, the, the word Paul uses is actually kind of an unrefined common word for excrement, all right? So Paul, when he says rubbish, he's not talking about stuff we throw in the trash can. Everyone understands. He's talking about the stuff that we flush down toilets. He's saying that that's what I consider all of my previous achievements Uh, all the things that the world's tempted to put their confidence in. Um, Yeah, that's dung. That's poop. All right? 
Kids, you can actually have a devotion tonight on poop, and it's okay. Your parents can talk to you about, why did the pastor talk about poop today at church, all right? I'm just staying true to the text. That's all I'm doing. Uh, But that's how strongly Paul writes, that compared to the treasure that I have in Christ, everything else is excrement, relatively speaking. Right? Why? Because Christ so changes the game <laughs> that he's of surpassing value, surpassing worth. How does Christ change the game? It's in and around this righteousness idea. We don't talk about righteousness a lot. You probably didn't use righteousness you know, in your workplace this week or just out and about. You probably didn't text a lot about righteousness. What do we mean when we say righteousness? Righteousness gets at this idea of how do we make ourselves um, right Right in our own eyes, right uh, before others, but especially right before God. How do we justify ourselves? Um, Righteousness speaks a lot to uh, our desires to save ourselves and to control our lives. Um, Paul's saying, listen, because of Christ, I was able to give all that stuff up. I don't have to save myself. I don't have to control my life. I found in Jesus someone that frees me from all of that. And you need to know we've been tempted to save ourselves and create our own righteousness from the word go, right? Adam and Eve in the garden, kids, y'all know that story. Uh, what's the first thing they do after they fall? They, they put fig leaves on. What's that all about? That's about righteousness. That's about trying to make things right themselves. All right, It's trying to make themselves right in front of each other and right in front of God. It's hiding. It's trying to control things. And we've been doing it ever since. And Paul says, I don't have to do that anymore. You know, it's worth noting, it's not like before Paul um, surrendered to Christ, he didn't know what sin was. Right? Like he knew the sacrificial system. He knew he was sinful. Um, he, uh, the penny dropped for him. He understood it when he realized, wait a second, I'm not, not only do I need to repent from sin, but I need to repent from all the ways I've tried to save myself and control my life and earn favor with God. Because Christ has done it all. Christ in Christ alone. That's where my hope is found. Um. Paul talks about being found in Christ. When God sees us, he sees Christ. And this is the glory of the gospel. The glory of the gospel is that, um, you know, in light of the games we play, we can rest because the game has already been won. Not not in light of what we've done, but in light of what Christ has done. In fact, actually, in spite of what we've done, we actually, we, we receive victory because Christ has won it. I have no doubt there are some impressive resumes here this morning. All right? But none of them includes defeating death. That's on Christ's resume. And death, we know, stands as a specter over all of our relationships, over all of our accomplishments. And we don't need to fear it if we put our hope in the resume of the one who defeated it. Uh, I don't think anyone has defeating sin on their resume here this morning. Christ does. And when we're united to him in his sufferings and in his resurrection, when we're trusting in his resume... We have victory over sin. Sin, death have been defeated in Christ, um, which means we get to enter into acceptance. We get to enter into forgiveness, being right before God, like um, having the ability to be reconciled to other people. 
Like that's ours in the gospel because we're united to Christ. Comfort in our suffering and eternal life, it's ours because of what we have in Christ. So what does this mean? Let's wrap up. Kind of consider a few angles for what this looks like in our life. What does it mean to rejoice? To rejoice always, to rejoice in pandemic 2020 Thanksgiving. What does this look like? Um, I'll start first with myself. All right. Uh, What does it look like for Rob to rejoice uh, in my life? Frankly, it can be a struggle sometimes when it comes to my professional life, when it comes to leading and serving here at Capitol Press Fairfax. Here's here's what it looks like. Um, Hey, listen, I want God to grow this new work. All right. I want him to use it mightily to transform lives. Uh, I want him to multiply it. I don't have any plans for the rest of my life. All right. This is what I want to do. Um, and, I, and I'm praying God does that. But it could be the Lord's will that like in two years from now, it's his will to shut this thing down. All right. Or it could be y'all go to Thanksgiving on Thursday, have a great time and like all unanimously decide never to come back again. All right. And so next Sunday, JT's here and he's lonely. Chelsea gets a day off. Danner gets a day off. Um, would I be sad? Like, yes, of course. I would be confused. I would be disillusioned to some extent. But I would not have lost anything that I have in Christ. Forgiveness, acceptance, peace, uh, eternal life. All of those would still be mine regardless of what happens to this place. You know, when things go bad on a Sunday or, or things don't... Um, go well with the church, when, I, when I'm not realizing the treasure I have in Christ, when I'm not realizing all that it means to be found in him, then I get anxious and I despair. Um, you know, I just, I get grumpy. Um, when things are going really well and I'm not realizing all that I have in Christ, I get prideful and I get arrogant, right? Usually in my head and in my heart, because you're not supposed to let other people see that, but it's the truth. But realizing what I have when I'm found in Christ, when I'm living in light of that, then my bad days don't destroy me and my good days don't delude me. Right? And for you, it might not be work. For you, it might be the status of your family. For you, it might be um, your performance at school or, or how many friends you have or whatever it might be. What does it mean for you in your life to, to realize what it means to be found in Christ and rejoice in light of that reality? A couple more things. Here's another thing it looks like, another way we can see, another angle. When Paul's talking about those uh, in the Philippian church, he writes about them in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and he describes the church in Macedonia, which is this kind of region. And he says things about these churches and about these Christians that just fly in the face of our natural inclination. So much of what we're tempted to think. Uh, I'll, I'll just let you listen to how he talks about these Christians. He says, in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity. Did you hear all those phrases? A test of affliction and their abundance of joy, and their extreme power. Like, how do all these even go together? But apparently, these churches in this region, these Christians had a treasure that led to this kind of radical description. 
abundance of joy, extreme poverty, overflowing, and a wealth of generosity. They gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Um, Realizing what we have in the treasure of Christ saves us from a scarcity mindset, saves us from the fear that so often prevents us from giving and being the generous people that we long to be. So when we realize the treasure we have in Christ, we can give radically. Right? We can give to our Thanksgiving offering. We can give to invest in ministries like Young Life or the Lamb Center. Um, we can use some of our paychecks and some of our allowance monies um, to just buy some nice gifts for our neighbors this week to let them know, hey, we're here if you need something because we've got a guy that's been here for us when we needed anything. Um, and we'll wrap up with Pandemic 2020. What does it look like to rejoice on Thursday? Right? My prayer is that this would be our best Thanksgiving ever, right? That some of the discomfort and some of the challenges and some of the things missing would just lead us to remember all that we have in Christ, right? Maybe we could pause and we could just take some time on Thursday to remember all that we have in Christ. Sure, I have no doubt there are countless physical blessings and, and, uh, and material things we could be thankful for, but maybe we could start a new tradition and just say, because of Christ, this is what we have. This is what we're thankful for. And I, I'm not uh, preaching stoicism here. I'm not denying that this is hard and that this is difficult. I'm not trying to put lipstick on a pig, all right? Um, but I, I am trying to move us to the point where we can, we can say with Paul that we're afflicted but not crushed, that we're struck down but not destroyed, that because we see the treasure we have in Christ, we can rejoice. That's my prayer for you, and that's my prayer for me, that we can live out this one instruction, that we would rejoice in the Lord and all that we have in him. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all that we have in Christ and confess that uh, we consider it um, far too often. We take it far too lightly, and I just pray for me and for my friends over this next week. Open our eyes to see all that we have in our Savior. Um, Save us from putting our confidence in other things. Prison could not take Christ away from Paul. Poverty could not take Christ away from the Philippians. And a pandemic cannot take Christ away from us. Help us to know that and to believe that in our souls this week. Let that be our true joy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.